Hello, everybody. I'm Phil Brandt, President and CEO at AIM Employers Association, and welcome to This Week at Work. This Week at Work is the only show about the workplace that offers you front row seats and a microphone featuring experts in human resources and employment law to bring you practical, timely, and accurate insights so you can more effectively lead your organization. It's Thursday, February 22nd, episode 267. Today, we pivot to a more optimistic outlook of the U.S. job market, exploring the positive movements towards a fulfilling life for both employer and employee demands amid intense competition. Talent acquisition expert Jessica Gibbons joins the show to provide valuable insights into emerging trends that are encouraging for employers with ambitious hiring goals for 2024. Plus, Jessica offers a glimpse into her upcoming Wayfinder session and we have some great poll questions for you this morning, so get involved in the show. All this and more on This Week at Work. All right, welcome back, everyone. Hey, Bert, it looks like um, you're in Hotel California. I mean, are you, have you checked in and I won't let you check out there? They, the state refuses to let me leave. They love me so much out here, Phil. You know, I, I know you love California. It's your favorite state. Uh, hopefully uh, you're doing well. We appreciate you getting up early and joining all of us uh, here live this morning um, for that. Are you coming home soon? Uh, coming home on Saturday morning, thankfully. And uh, I'm out here, uh, had, a, had a round of uh, depositions, a court hearing, and then I'm actually speaking at a uh, conference uh, a little bit later today for the National Restaurant and Retail Defense Association. I'm uh, talking about what to do when the government comes knocking, when the Department of Labor, the EEOC, uh, the NLRB, uh, ICE, Department of Homeland Security all show up at your door and demand to come in. And then also another one that we've added to the mix in recent years under the Biden administration, the Department of Justice. What do you do when the Department of Justice comes knocking at your business? All right. That's why we love having you on the program. Great experience coming your way. We're going to get right back to you in a minute, Bert. Spring is definitely in the air here while you are out in California. We've had 70 degree weather in the Midwest. It's been fantastic. Cardinals are in spring training, great members of AIM Employers Association. And today, if we're lucky, we're going to have um, a special guest, uh, senior recruiter Jessica Gibbons is going to be joining us and giving us some insights to what she's going to be talking about at our upcoming Wayfinder event on March 15th at the factory right here in St. Louis, a very popular event. It's a rock and roll environment for us every time we're there. We have a great time. Um, and we will be uh, doing that once again on March 15th. Don't forget to sign up now. We also have one other thing while I'm just giving you updates. We have our first annual Illinois Compensation Strategies for Compliance event uh, coming up on March 26th. It's in-person only. It is not going to be simulcast. I know I get a lot of questions about that. Uh, sometimes we're able to do that easier than others, um, but in this case, it will be in-person only, March 26. It's worth two and a half HRCI and SHRM credits, uh, and we will have fan favorite Mikey Mack leading the way on that discussion for us. So that is a, uh, a upcoming event to look forward to. Also, if you attend that event, you will get... Um, for compensation benchmarking job titles uh, for your organization. 
Um, and that is a value of $400. So in addition to just getting some great information and learning how to be in compliance with all those crazy things going on in Illinois, uh, you'll get some value for your organization as it relates to benchmarking. Hey, Phil, Phil, yeah, darn it. I, I was trying to get there before you. I was trying to get you to jump to the poll questions because you keep forgetting those. So this well, time you actually right remembered. All right, yeah. fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I I'm, I was getting right to it. Bert, you have done a good job over the years getting me uh, just to follow a script. I know it's hard, <laughs> you know, um, my attention deficit comes into that. And, you know, sometimes I get a little bit off track. Like last week, Bert, you weren't on the program. And and I got called out by my friend Michelle for saying the uh, S-H-I-T word um, on air. And I was, you know, made fun of, and that carried over this week to our round tables and people were making fun of me. So I'm not going to wow. say that anymore on the air, but I will say caca. I must have missed a good show. Wow. Uh, it, it was innocent. It was innocent. Um, but uh, it just tells me people are listening and, um, we're going to keep this rated G. Um, we're not going to PG, let alone PG 13. I was, well, we I might like we, we, add in we might get a little Thank we might you, get a little PG thirteen we might get a little PG thirteen when uh, I give give you some scary news on some of the stories today when we do lawyer on the clock but we'll see well now that's a good teaser for us all right all let's right. get these poll questions and get the lawyer on the clock all right so our poll questions for today is what do you see as the biggest challenge for filling open positions in your organization. So this is for you and your business. What are your biggest challenges in filling open positions? That's question number one. Poll question number two is, what is the first thought that crosses your mind when you hear there is an open position at your organization? Uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Don't use the S-H-I-T or caca <laughs> word in those uh, examples, please. Keep it clean. Uh, and then, no other languages that? either. No other languages. No other languages either. I, I'm afraid this one's going to take life of its own, Nick. Um, and then the final one is, if you could hire anyone to work alongside me, who would that be? And that's alongside yourself. If you could hire anyone to work alongside you, who would that be? I got you know, one for you. Someone it's like easy. Bert no. Garland. Like, it's, it's, you know, I, I look forward to working next to Bert every day. Bill, uh, sorry, it's it's not going to be you. It's going to be my puppies. If I could hire anyone to work alongside me, it would be my two dogs. Your two dogs. I <laughs> hey, I have seen in the background that your dogs are beside you. Yeah. That's <laughs> when they're not running California. the neighborhood, Bert. Exactly. Clearly, it's after right. Valentine's Day, and we've decided not to include our wives. <laughs> she wouldn't <laughs> want to work with me. I promise you that. <laughs> oh. I get reminded at home all the time. I am not at work anymore. All right. Um, let's see. Just in case we get a, uh, uh, we do get Jessica to join us, and I know she's out busy, and we're hoping that she's going to. I do want to, I do want to talk about this, um, um, this meme that we have for Philbert's form before we get the lawyer on the clock. Can you see that? Is that up on the screen? Yep, we got it for him. All right. So there you go, uh, Bert. I, I thought you might enjoy this one, right? Um, back in the day, you know, as managers telling someone we're family, you know, we're one big family. Meanwhile, we're shaking hands and we're uh, going, me who has applied for 30 other families, right? Uh, I just think that's a, a perfect one. We're saying two things out of the side of our mouth. Over here, we're going, we're family, and then we don't treat people like family. Um, and employers are going, yeah, 
eh, maybe I'm going to go work for some other families instead. But great meme. I think it does describe the time of the, the sign of the times. And maybe when Jessica joins us, we'll get a little further into, into that meme. All right, Laura, are you ready? I am ready, Phil. Let's go. All right. Nick, pull that lever. All right. It's time to look into what's trending in employment law. Lawyer, you're on the clock. So the first one I want to talk about today, this is going to take us all the way back to 2022. Uh, I have to be a little bit careful uh, what I say about the case because my firm did represent the, uh, the, the company, the employer Home Depot, uh, in this case, and just yesterday, the a three-member majority of the National Labor Relations Board, there's only four people on the board right now. There's three Democrats and one Republican. And in a three-to-one decision, uh, this board majority reversed an administrative law judge's decision from June of 2022 that held that Home Depot did not violate the National Labor Relations Act when it told a worker uh, that the, the individual could not work while displaying a Black Lives Matter message on their apron. So again, the board uh, reversed this administrative law judge's decision and said that Home Depot now did violate the National Labor Relations Act when it instructed this uh, employee not to wear the Black Lives Matter uh, messaging on his Home Depot apron. So very interesting case. Uh, this one's going to definitely, in my opinion, be appealed into the court system and out of the National Labor Relations Board. The uh, majority said that the employee's protest was protected activity under the National Labor Relations Board, that, under the National Labor Relations Act, because it was, quote, unquote, a logical outgrowth, end quote, of earlier group protests of racially discriminatory issues at this Minnesota Home Depot store. So mm. the board, yeah, the board found a way to tie the Black Lives Matter messaging on the apron to prior protests about working conditions at the Home Depot. You'll recall, Phil, on the program, I've talked several times that uh, realistically, Black Lives Matter messaging or any other political type messaging is not going to be protected concerted activity under the National Labor Relations Act unless the person can tie that messaging to their terms and conditions of employment. And while in this particular case from the decision, it appears that Home Depot uh, said that this was not tied to any prior protests and the facts of the case really did not uh, show that the Black Lives Matter messaging was tied to any prior protests of working conditions. The board developed this new logical outgrowth standard to say that this was protected activity. So this is a very, very interesting decision. I think uh, employers need to pay attention to this. And it shows what we've talked about a lot of times on the program here is that what business really can't stand is this pendulum moving back and forth every four years. And that uh, what, what business wants to know is what the rules are. Uh, better, uh, for better or for worse, just tell us what the rules are so that we could develop our policies and procedures and manage our business in a way uh, that, that, that complies with the law. But when the law changes every, every four years uh, or so, 
uh, it gets very difficult for business. So this is a really, really big decision. Like I said, again, this case is definitely going to be heading into the court system, in my opinion, or into the, yeah, into the appellate courts. I don't have any inside information from my firm. I haven't talked to the attorneys involved. But the point is, is that in 2022, uh, mm -hmm. Home Depot won the case before an administrative law judge at the NLRB. The board just reversed this case yesterday. And I think the next step is going to be the uh, D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I just if we get to this point where we start to get a little bit ridiculous and we're really all just trying to either earn a living and or, you know, provide a service to to customers. And, and then we get ourselves out of control and in these really tricky situations um, for all the wrong reasons, um, right, right or wrong. Um, we're, we're at that point, we're not there, you know, working and staying focused on, you know, the job at hand. It just surprises me that this is still going on um, after all this time, what seems to be a really small issue on the surface. Well, in this, yeah, and, and, and it's, it seems to be a small issue, but it's really a huge issue. I mean, the case yeah. goes back to February of 2021. Uh, in the Black Lives Matter protesting that the employee had on their uh, apron followed the George Floyd uh, uh, incident up in, in uh, Minnesota. And yeah. so uh, this, this quote-unquote logical outgrowth standard that the board uh, developed and adopted here really, really is going to be difficult for employers to manage. So while it sounds like a small issue, it's going to be very difficult uh, until this works its way through the court system. Yeah, particularly as we're coming into another political season where we're likely to have some of these flare-ups occur again, um, as they are, you know, often politically motivated. But let's move off of that topic, Bert. I do appreciate you uh, following up on that a few years later. I think that's just, that's great diligence on your part. Thank you for that. What else yep. you got for us there, lawyer? All right. Well, I know that Nick in his lead in today uh, was talking about the optimism in the job market and all of that and uh, an opt optimistic outlook of the U.S. job market. Well, I, I'm going to throw a little bit of cold water on that because uh, job cuts, I want to talk about job cuts and the impact of job cuts on the remote work world. Uh, okay. And the, the latest, some of the latest data is showing that job cuts really are sending quite a chill through the remote work world. Uh, the in-office perks didn't lure people back. Uh, all staff emails telling people to get back. Warnings telling people to get back. None of that worked. But what is working is layoffs. Layoffs okay. in the white collar sector uh, seems to be uh, getting people to return to work. Uh, those layoffs, as we've talked about on this program, there's real disconnect in the economy right now over where the jobs are. The restaurant and retail sector still can't hire enough people, but the white collar jobs right now, uh, that is where the jobs are. There's company after company doing uh, reductions in force right now. And so you've got a sector of the workforce uh, that's experiencing layoffs and where the jobs are, it's not where these people wanna go work. And so there, there's a big disconnect there. And uh, these layoffs really have been increasingly targeting remote workers. And this is something that remote workers probably really need to factor into their calculus uh, of, of, of how important it is for them to, to work at home. 
Uh, there was oh, a hey, study. Bert, I, got, I just need to interrupt you there because one sure. of the things that we saw happen with um, remote workers um, was when remote workers um, went remote and they moved away, um, and many of them uh, were female workers. And at that point, then they started to change compensation strategies and saying, okay, well, you're moving out of our high cost of living in Silicon Valley, and you're moving to Nevada, where it's a, a much lower cost of living and the wage is different. And then they started changing the wage structure, and they got themselves in trouble a little bit around maybe some unfair treatment uh, in that case. Uh, I think the, the concern could be the same if my remote workforce is predominantly female, and then I start laying off remote workforce in a way that's not based on performance or otherwise necessities for that particular job. Um, is that a concern in your mind? Is that something you can look into your crystal ball and say, hey, be careful with this? I know yeah, you're going to be consistent and it depends yep. and all that stuff you always say, that caca you always say, but yeah. <laughs> be consistent and be fair, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see this really as creating a disparate impact on uh, the female workforce versus the non-female workforce. Uh, I think it's really targeted at people. The the category is who's who's a remote worker uh, and who's an in-office worker. And, uh, you know, there was a study uh, by a, a, a entity called Live Data Technologies. It's an employment data firm that analyzed the status of 2 million white-collar workers. And they found that the share of fully remote U.S. job postings on LinkedIn uh, dropped more than nine percentage points between the beginning of 2022 and the end of last year. And across Fortune 100 companies, the average in-office attendance requirement is now 3.1 days, according to a real estate firm uh, called JLL. And so I just, again, raise this from the standpoint that, uh, that layoffs are having an impact on remote workers, and that may be uh, the thing that, that finally gets people back into the office on a more consistent basis. Well, I can tell you there is a thing called rush hour traffic now back here in St. Louis uh, every morning, every evening. Um, so rush hour traffic is definitely back if that's a sign of people returning to the workplace. Yep. All right. And the last one I have for you is just a reminder. And I see that Jessica hopefully is is on and able to, to hear us. But uh, the last one, I just want to remind people that uh, March 11th is quickly approaching and March 11th is the effective date of the U.S. Department of Labor's new independent contractor rule. That means that uh, barring some sort of a court order blocking the rule, employers are going to need to come into compliance with this new rule. And that means that some workers uh, switching from independent contractor uh, status to employee status is, is going to have to take place. And employers need to be preparing for this. Uh, Phil, we can certainly talk about this in more detail probably next week. Yeah, I um, um, I, I do want to just talk about a few things on this if we can, Bert. Sure. Um, and there, when we when I think about, first of all, I'm not getting a lot of questions about this. And that's always a concern to me. I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm not either. And I think that uh, employers are not properly preparing for this. They, I think right. employers are relying on 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 a uh, it has been challenged in the courts already, but no court has put a restraining order or a stay on the 
uh, implementation or the effective date of this rule yet. And so uh, I think employers are kind of counting on that happening. And until it happens, I think employers should proceed down the road for at least analyzing and conduct conducting internal audits, uh, et cetera, to, to see if these folks really are independent contractors or not. Yeah. So maybe maybe we can just spend a few minutes and and let's take it from you know the broad obvious perspective per, a perspective from that standpoint and narrow it down into a, a few other examples. Um, so we talk about the gig economy and that's not the majority of the organizations in which um, AIM represents right. uh, and works with. Um, so you know talk about Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and you know, um, door dashes and all these types of things. I don't, that, let's not focus there. Let's start so, with. So, so Phil, yeah, yeah let, let's not focus there, but make no mistake about it. This new rule is, is designed to target those industries. So I agree. Let's not focus there today, but it's going to decimate that business model, but go ahead. It's going yeah, to have no. other ripple effects well beyond the gig economy. That and that's my concern, right? That was the target um, when we've been talking about contract workers for a long time. Is you know, for twelve years I've been in this role, it's been a conversation. Depending on you know who the political leader um, has been for in the seat of president, but let's let's think about it like this. So let's start with uh, your traditional temporary workforce. You know, um, I call up the temp agency and I have employees coming, um, I temp employees coming into the workforce on a regular basis. Um, that, that, that industry will definitely be affected in, in ways by this. If I just say, I need a temp to come in and do some filing for us for the next three weeks. So, so let me, yeah, let, let, let's chat about that because now I think you're really kind of mixing two different concepts here, and that is uh, it is partially an independent contractor analysis, but that gets into another hot area of enforcement among the administrative agencies, and that's joint employer. Now, right. what you're talking about is you call up a temp agency. That temp agency in and of itself is an independent contractor of yours. There's not that much risk. That, you're, that those employees of the temp agency are going to be considered uh, employees of your company under an independent contractor analysis. There is a high risk, though, under this current administration that they could be considered employees of yours under a joint employer analysis. Okay. Now, when so, we, we take that one, one step in, and now we have a temp agency that only works for our business. Right. So, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Yes. So if you have a temp agency or, or, or a temp agency that only works for your business, again, I think that under those circumstances, if the temp agency is a is a temp agency of one person and that person does nothing but work for AIM, uh, yeah. then I think that there's a high possibility that you would have had that uh, temp agency or person misclassified as an independent contractor versus an employee. But if the temp agency is a real bona fide temp agency that provides employees, uh, it has more than one employee, and it, empl it provides employees to a range of businesses uh, or, or provides their own employees to a range of yeah. different businesses, then I think there's a possibility even under this new test 
that they're that, that they would be uh, truly independent contractors or employees of that temp agency. Yeah, because I I, hear, I do see it in in shapes. It looks like this to me. Um, my brother-in-law, I'm the owner of a business. My brother-in-law has an IT firm and he's got two or three employees, but he only works at that firm only works to supply our IT services. Or we have um, a small shipping or distribution or warehouse uh, management crew who only works for our business. Um, and that might be just a gray area to go in and dive a little deeper and just make sure you, you're evaluating the risk of that. Well, so, yeah. So let me let me give the factors, because I think we want to okay. talk about the factors that are important here. Uh, right now, the, the, the Department of Labor and, frankly, the other administrative agencies, they sort of use a, what's called a weighted factors test where control is the most important of the factors. Who actually is in control of the people who are doing the work for the company? Is it, is it you as the employer or are they, or is it the independent contractor, him or herself, that's really in control of the work? And what they're really gonna be focusing on now is what's called the totality of the circumstances approach, and it's based on six factors. And of course, that first factor is how is which employer controls how the work is done. So you do get back to that control factor. The other factors, though, are the worker's opportunity for profit or loss. So in other words, if it is an independent contractor and they set a rate uh, that they're going to charge you for this, that person has an opportunity for profit or loss. They may do great on the on the independent contractor assignment or they may do poorly. Uh, the next element is the amount of skill and initiative required for the work. The uh, fourth factor is the degree of permanence of the working relationship. Uh, the fifth factor is the worker's investment in equipment or materials required for the task. So, Phil, that's an easy one. If you think about, you know, you're going to hire somebody to do some uh, maintenance on your uh, or on your computer system or to work on in, in your uh, uh, training room where you have all of the IT equipment and everything, uh, AIM is, is not in that business. And, uh, you know, you don't have all of that. You may not have all of that material or all of that equipment needed uh, for, for that purpose. And so the worker might have to invest in equipment or materials. But here's the, the, the big one that I think uh, is, is newer and really going to impact this area. And that is the extent to which the service, service rendered is an integral part of the employer's business. Okay, yeah. so let's, let's focus on that one. Okay. Let's, take, let's take that same IT example. So AIM is not an IT company. You don't provide no. IT services for your members or anyone else. So if you hire somebody to come in and perform IT services for AIM, uh, yes, it's integral to the operation of your business, but it's not something that AIM otherwise does, okay? Right. So you're not providing that service to anyone else. Now, let's say, for example, AIM hires an independent contractor to supply to one of its members uh, to conduct a uh, harassment investigation. Okay. Now you're into a different situation because that is AIM's work. 
that is integral to AIM's actual work. And so that does sort of beg the question then whether that individual is still an independent contractor of AIM or is that person an employee of AIM? And then you take it to a whole nother level. Is that person an independent contractor of the place where they're going to do the harassment investigation or are they an employee? And so, right. again, very important uh, that, that people start recognizing that this is coming down the pike again on March 11th. This goes into effect absent a court order uh, putting it on hold. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's uh, some really interesting things there for us to consider because those things are happening uh, all the time. And I think we have to look at what checks are we writing uh, that are coming out of the finance department to whom? And just kind of look at that to determine, do we have risk with that set of um, contractors or individuals that are working with us and what what do they how do they stack up against the tests that you just provided? Um, yeah, and I, I think that's going to be the starting point for for organizations to look at. Okay, who are they? Because sometimes we just lose sight of that, right? We we've worked with someone in a way so long we just kind of lose sight of that. Bert, I want to draw our attention over to the the chart, um, but the lack of qualified candidates definitely leads the way for responses mm -hmm. uh, to our poll question. Um, and there's no doubt the reason that we have a lack of qualified candidates is really this reason on this chart behind me. And, and I know I go through this chart all the time with our members, but it just flattens out the population of those individuals that we're looking to hire uh, and started in 2020, coincidentally with the COVID period. Um, but there are just not many people. And I, so I, I broke it down mathematically uh, this week for some of our roundtables and so what it really means for us, where we've been in this environment growing um, our working population at a rate of 20 million people every 10 years. That's what we've experienced since 1950 here. And we can see it's been growing and growing, and then it just kind of flattens out. Uh, what happens there is now we're only going to grow that same population by 5 million people over the next 20 years. Right. So they're already basic. They're 15. You know, I mean, they're already alive because it starts at age 15 is where we start measuring that. Um, so we can count those belly buttons and move them ahead and say we know where we're going to be for the next 15 or 20 years. So what that means when I break it down is if everything was equal across all of the states, which it is not, there's some states that have more puts and takes than others, but if every state got the equivalent distribution each year of the available new talent in the age band, what that means for the state of Missouri, for the county of St. Louis, is that you would get five more people in 2024 to recruit from that your, your recruiting population, that working population is going to grow by five people every year. And that is what I think what people are saying by a lack of qualified candidates, um, because obviously we need more than five. And that's where at the same time, when we look at the cooling off that you were referring to in the layoffs, I'm going, we have to, we have to drench it's not just a cooling. It's going to take a drenching to create enough unemployment to fill the job gaps that we have. 
And that is what I was hoping to get into with conversation with Jessica. I know she will be at the Wayfinder Summit. We'll try and squeeze her back into the program. But those are some serious figures that we're contending with when it comes to availability of talent and why I think people are saying in such a high rate that their concern is talent availability. Anyway, that's the end of the program. That's my soapbox. Uh, it's not a bunch of caca, that is for sure. It's facts. And we will be back on the air next week at 7.30. We'll see you then. Bert, I hope they let you out of Hotel California. <laughs> Until then, you go out and be good to those people in California. They need your help. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for tuning in to This Week at Work. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your colleagues. Forward our invites. Share the link, aimea.org forward slash this week at work, or follow or subscribe wherever you get your news and entertainment. LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're everywhere you are. Don't forget you can be part of the show. Send your questions and comments anytime to info at thisweek.work. We'll see you next week, 7:30 a.m. Central Time, when we discuss what's happening this week at work.